0: As you might be able to tell from my uh, accent here, I'm I'm one of the Irish people who sometimes goes on the podcast and I'm actually filling in for Austin Pryor. So uh, best of luck to Austin with all of these going through and uh, this is Ollie Brady stepping in as a host. As a guest on this podcast, I have had the um, uh, unfortunate reputation of perhaps going a little bit long um, while we're talking about. So I'm going to try my best to keep my exuberance and love for this movie to a minimum. Uh, Luckily, the five minutes that we're going to be talking about this week doesn't involve a lot of dialogue, so we should be okay on that front. So I'm going to introduce my host, and my host today is Alex. Alex, how do you pronounce your second name? I am so glad you asked me. It's pronounced Gridette, rhymes with cadet for those paying attention at home. Alex Gredet. And Alex, where are you from?
1: Uh, I am from Los Angeles, California.
0: Ooh, Born and raised in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm speaking to you now
0: from LA. Oh, perfect. Um, Baltimore, Maryland. So obviously the only thing I know Baltimore, Maryland from is The Wire. <laughs>
1: Yep, yeah, that's uh, I've, I've, that's come up on these podcasts before. Actually, that's I think when I was on Batman, uh, Batman with Nile with Nile and John, they were like, "Oh, The Wire," and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, I, I grew up out in the suburbs, though, so don't go getting too uh, too hardened an image of me in mind." I'm. Uh... <laughs> It's it's you know I I had already moved away from Baltimore by the time the wire started to uh, started its run and I was wa- and I would watch it and be like oh this Baltimore place seems kind of shady. <laughs> I
0: it's always one of those things like obviously as again an Irish person, um when I see Ireland represented on TV in movies in particular Hollywood movies, that's not what we're like. <laughs> <laughs> we're not like that at all. Um, we're a fun loving people and. We enjoy beers and socializing and stuff, but we're not a race of leprechaun-loving weirdos. Uh, we're not entirely a race of leprechaun-loving weirdos, but we I, I got—I got to tell you—that's—that's
1: that's a little bit of a letdown. Uh, but but you know whatever we'll we'll make the best of this recording today. It'll it'll be okay. It'll
0: be fine. And I like to ask people when I'm talking to them, what is the best thing about Los Angeles?
1: Oh, the best thing about Los Angeles, obviously, if you ask anybody, it's the pizza and the bagels. Uh, no, that's, uh, those are actually two of the most, and and the traffic, uh, which are (laughs) the most complained about things. No, LA is, uh, it's great. I lived in New York for a long time before I came here. Uh, I've been out here for about 15 years now, which is longer than I was even in New York, even though that was, those were some pretty formative years. Uh, and the energy is very different, but, um, I think, uh, uh but uh but you know there's i i think for me the my favorite thing about la apart from this is you know where i planted the flag and started a family and have all these wonderful personal associations is uh when i first moved out here the idea that i could just roll out of bed and about 15 minutes later be like hiking on the side of a mountain but still be like in the middle of the city uh that had some that that was a pretty exotic thing for me because uh coming from uh you know east coast uh, kind of mid-Atlantic climates where it's like yeah you can do nature stuff but you got to get pretty far from the cities first and it's like oh no I can climb to the highest point of this canyon and see an in and out burger from here it's great
0: yeah that actually does sound like fun I mm-hmm. didn't I've never actually been in LA so I didn't realize that but I mean I suppose like yes the Hollywood Hills so it makes sense that there are well, that it's... big hiking areas in the town
1: yeah, it becomes easy to forget because of how citified it is. And I live in a suburban part of town. I live in the San Fernando Valley. Um, but it's like, it, I, I think I'm keenly aware of it because I was coming to it from such a, you know, just a different biome. Like I changed Star Wars planets, basically. Um, and... Uh, I think i was i i've never really stopped being aware of like all right this is a desert we we live in a technically inhospitable environment that doesn't want us here <laughs>
0: um
1: but you know we make it work
0: yeah and it it i said someday i will go visit mm. but we're talking about glass onion minute and the minutes that we're talking about in this week's run of episodes are from There are minutes 126 up until 129, or is it 130? But we'll talk about that in a second. But today's episode, we're talking about the minute that goes from 2 hours and 5 minutes to 2 hours and 5 minutes and 59 seconds. And in this minute, we start with Miles facing Andy slash Helen. It's Helen at this point. And he's telling her... Helen walk away and she says
1: yeah with a reminder of why my sister walked away in the
0: first place and she holds up a little piece of the clear material runs over to the fireplace and throws it in and as we have already been told throughout the uh runtime of the movie this clear this uh, solid fuel this solid hydrogen fuel is highly explosive and as soon as it hits the fire <laughs> we get a massive explosion. Oh,
1: shit! Hindenburg.
0: And that's pretty much the entirety of the minute. There's very little excess dialogue, and there's no other real performances apart from a small part from Katrin Han, who gets the last line of the piece, which we'll talk about in a couple of moments. how did you find this minute, Alex?
1: It's a great minute. Um, it is obviously, it's a pivotal one. And we're coming out of, you know, this sort of uh, uh, burgeoning revolt against Miles that uh, that Helen has begun to lead with, you know, uh, with all of Miles's devoted disruptors, you know, smashing all of his glass sculptures. Uh, and being sort of fine with that catharsis until, I'm sorry, I'm backtracking into someone else's minute, but I think it's, you know, it's how we got here. Yeah. Um, and I loved, from the minute I saw this movie, I love that you've got, you know, the the disruptors are all very sort of, all, you know, all very, just different facets of bourgeoisie, basically. And I always loved that um, it's like they endorsed Helen's uh, protest, uh, a black woman's protest against an oligarch, and even joined in a little bit until it got a little too intense for them and she started lighting fires, and then everybody hits the brakes. And I think, you know, this this movie is not shy about its politics or about being a reflection of... Very contemporary things. It is the most pandemic snapshot I've seen, um, but also has a surprising amount of perspective on it. So I really loved the the sort of echoing of how bourgeois white people were, some were were supportive in principle uh, in the wake of George Floyd's murder of BLM protests, but then there was always this element of, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, is it really worth destroying property and businesses and stuff? And it's like, well, then it's not a protest. And so I love finding a very, that there's this very condensed comedic way to reflect, uh, that desire, uh, by these bourgeois characters and I realize they're not all white uh, not all quite literally you know white-skinned people but uh, but um, occupying this sort of bourgeois space and being so okay with okay with a protest supporting a protest and then immediately pumping the brakes the second there's any chance it might go beyond what they're comfortable with. and I really love um, miles you know shutting her down when she when she starts a fire, you know, shouting like enough at her because um, he's been indulging this little tantrum, which is what he calls it a few minutes from now. Uh, and even kind of joining in just to show how little an impact it makes. But now it's like, okay, you made your point. Now what? But what's so exciting about that is Helen has not made her point yet, but Miles is dumb and and only thinks that she has, that all that there is is breaking stuff, and then that's it. Because all he sees in this room is his stuff. Um, But yeah, no, so I think it's true. I, I love watching that pick up, and I also love Helen having used that form of protest, not just for catharsis, but to really set up from the minute Blanc handed her the the bit of clear like she she knew what she was doing she this is this is all very well mapped out in her in her mind because it turns out she's a very good planner when she's been drinking um, which is a really fun gag uh, <laughs> a running gag through the movie the idea that. Um, uh she tries to stick to sobriety but the minute she gets drunk she's a genius which is which is always fun in any iteration
0: it sounds like something the way you're describing it sounds like something that you would see on like a Rick and Morty episode but it's way better written than that
1: yeah i mean well there's i mean just a quick sidebar, sidebar. i love Ryan Johnson i think he's it, it, it not only does he play to my tastes so much that it's almost like every time he announces a new project you would think he pitched it to me first to make sure I'm cool with it uh <laughs> it's it's like uh, like like so so I enjoy that alignment I understand he's not everybody's cup of tea I don't really agree with the reasons why people have singled him out for for disdain but I think that yeah there's there's a, things he does really well like you you said that perfectly like the idea of yes you can very easily picture rick needing to get a certain amount of drunk or high to be able to do some incredibly complicated thing and that's that's kind of a fun lowbrow joke but i love that ryan johnson has the sense of humor to lasso in that lowbrowness but he has the skill to turn it into to 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 Give it some dignity and some purpose and some point, um, which I think to me just contributes to the fun that
0: there's this very highbrow lowbrow uh, tension going on the whole time. Yeah, and just to to pick up on something you had said earlier about uh, this being similar to the Black Lives Matter movement and how people were supporting it at the beginning and then as soon as they realized that it, you know a certain amount of impact had to be made in order to start the waves that would become a bigger impact um and then you suddenly had people balking at the idea of it. it's like oh well you know i didn't i didn't think you were actually going to do what you said if we look at the actual scene that we're looking at here andy um takes the clear and throws it towards the fire and it's catherine han's character who responds and she has the last line in this little minute it comes about 10 seconds before the end of the minute but she's like Hindenburg because they had been warned that the the solid hydrogen would go up just like the Hindenburg and she Claire represents the politicians because that's what she is who had been warned about all of the problems that were coming down the pipe went out and you know on the face of it supported and are there for the minorities but you know, we're doing it as lip service. As soon as push came to shove, they kind of rolled back on it. And it was nice that she was the one who was realising what the comeuppance that was about to come were. So when the fire goes off, it's her that realises we're about to get a big explosion here. And that's how the minute ends is with everything starting to catch fire. In particular, that God awful room that they're standing in with mixed match pieces of art from different, completely different styles of art from completely different temp- or time periods just haphazardly put around the room. It, it, it's one of my favourite things in the movie is Miles' Miles's only idea is to copy other people's ideas and when he copies other people's ideas, he doesn't understand what was the meaning behind those ideas in the first place. Oh, absolutely. He just wants to show that they're there. Did you...
1: It's uh horrible. have you have you talked about the upside down Rothko?
0: No, I haven't.
1: There's a there's a Mark Rothko painting. Uh I forget what it's called. I think it's got a number for a name. Uh and it's okay, uh picturing okay, the picture the layout of the room. Uh say you're standing at the 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 bar cart sort of overlooking like the conversation pit area where mm-hmm. where Duke dies. If you're standing yeah. at the bar directly opposite you is this Mark Rothko painting that is basically two stacked rectangles of color. Uh, I, I did not observe this. I don't know enough about art, but a wonderful bit of production design is that it's hung upside down.
0: Uh, it's and, a red, red and blue rectangle.
1: Yes, exactly. And whichever color is on top is actually meant to be on the bottom. Yeah, so uh, and-
0: it's. Got, I'm looking at it now because I've just got the video up here in front of me, and you're mm-hmm. right. He's got the red on the bottom and the blue on the top.
1: Right, and if you if I saw that one pointed out immediately after I'd seen the movie, and uh, I was just like, "That's that that's that's wonderful production design. It's just wonderful character development. It speaks to what you're saying that Miles not only like Miles just knows you're supposed to have impressive stuff, and he knows. The names of, you know, he knows the who which artists are hip enough. And, you know, I think there's some some Jeffrey Koons in the room. And I, I'm actually going to not talk about the artists who are in the room because I don't know enough about them that I'd actually come off. I, I'd have the same problem as Miles, is that I would name check them only probably wrong.
0: Um, I was about to say the same thing. I could sit here and start naming the names of artists and I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about them or what the piece of art represents. And that would be me just going to a list that says art in Miles' room.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And uh, But yeah, so I, I think, yes, you're right. I love that there is this political, this moment of realization from the politician. I think Lionel has a moment in there, has an... A, an expletive that we're not going to say on this family friendly yes. podcast. It,
0: it will get bleeped out and I don't want Darren to That's have That's fine. Bleep. We're going
1: to skip right past that. But I believe
0: and Lionel sees it and it's, he starts to reach.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's great because he would of course have, he would be the first to react from a scientific perspective and then to have um, Claire react from a, from a political perspective. Like, like it's not, there's a very and there's a moment in one of the later minutes uh, that I'll come back to talk about, uh, but where things like that in this script are arranged very purposefully in terms of why this character responds first, why this one responds second, and then and again that's just very that that's very smart writing on Ryan Johnson's part, but it also gives you when when you've done your when when you really put that kind of work into the script uh and into directing it it also creates this wonderful theatrical opportunity to have catherine Hahn who can work a camera and a single word line like almost nobody's business to just have her snap around and say hindenburg and like have that be have that have have a scene land on that beat i mean that's that's just I don't know. If you don't like this movie, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, it just, it, it just wants to delight you. And if you're me, it works every single time.
0: Uh, listen, it delights me. And there are a couple of things, just little things in this movie. Uh, there's constant references to other movies in this. Mm-hmm. And one of the, my favorite ones is there's a Ron Howard movie from, I think it's 1992, maybe 1993, called Backdraft. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And in backdraft, when uh, the idea is that the room is hot enough to start a fire, but all the oxygen has been burned out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as somebody opens a door, the oxygen rushes in, everything catches ignites, and it explodes. Mm -hmm. And it uses a very, very particular sound cue of a... And that's me trying to represent it. And after the initial explosion of the clear in the fireplace that's the sound that the flame makes as it goes up into the big extractor flan above it. Yes. And then there's a pause, just like in the movie Backdraft, before you get the massive explosion. And as a fan of that type of movie in particular, I, I love that movie. I saw it as a kid and I, mm-hmm. I, it's one of those movies where I go, I acknowledge that this is bad but I can't help but enjoy it. Oh yeah,
1: no. It's it's it, it's definitely a fun movie. Beautifully shot. Uh, a lot of exciting pyro effects in that one. And it would not shock me in the slightest. Like I think Ryan Johnson is is obviously steeped in in movies in cinema. So it's like his movies are always sort of populated by these by these little things that are nods, but it's not you're not supposed to you know, do the, the, the Leo DiCaprio point at the screen and be like, that's a backdraft reference. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe, and, and I'm sure if someone did that, he would be delighted, but he's not he, uh, Ryan Johnson, that is, would be delighted, but that's not what he said. Se- it's not what he's setting out to do. It's in there because it works. And if it gets recognized so much, the better. I, I I'm familiar with backdraft with the movie, um, but not on that, I, I, it's not a movie that I know down to its sound design quite that way, uh, but what I had noticed uh, in rewatching this minute, I love it because you know Helen holds up the clear, and then there's just these shots around. You know, they're sort of Miles' literal POV, just what he's thinking of. You know, mm-hmm. as we look around the room, that there's you know the fire, the artwork, the this, the that, and then. You've got this sound effect from the overhead fan, which plays like a gasp.
0: That's the one. It's that's just, the sound just, but, from yeah, backdraft.
1: And it's just, but it's such. A, so even if you don't get that, that's a reference to backdraft and what that's going to do in terms of how this fire is going to is going to com, is going to explode. It just, it's a wonderful moment, like of using sound design psychologically because we're there in the audience we're on the edge of our seat what is she about to do and the sound design makes the noise that we are making if not literally then at least in our minds uh and Mm -hmm. i think it's 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 there's there's a real cheekiness to the way ryan johnson makes pretty much all of his movies but especially like in in the benoit blanc movies it's right there front and center, and that to me is really delightful because it's not, it's not a self-impressed or like, look how cute I'm being kind of cheekiness. It's, it's all in service of, of something, of making a good movie and of making an enjoyable experience. And to me, it hits
0: every time. Oh, it absolutely does. And one of the things that I also love about this is that when the explosion finally goes off, so after the Hindenburg comment, um, we cut to an exterior shot at nighttime, and we can just about see the glass onion itself, and the glass onion explodes, and it makes what I can only describe as fireworks noises. Yeah. And it's like a, that anybody who's ever seen movie fireworks will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that high pitched, wee! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's absolutely. the sound that's coming from it. It's fantastic. It, it's like. The, it's exactly what happens when Merry and pippin set off the dragon firework <laughs> in lord of the rings that's absolutely. the sound that you're getting here and it's I, I think it's lovely i like all of the sound design in this movie is oh, just top notch
1: absolutely absolutely and i do i do want to ask one question because i i think the explosion of the glass onion itself is technically at the start of the next minute so i wouldn't want to you know, wouldn't want to muddy the waters, wouldn't want to besmir- besmirch the format <laughs> by talking minute 127 while we're in 126. So here's my question for you, because it's something that I've seen used as a knock on the movie, which I don't agree with uh, as as a criticism. Do you think Helen was prepared to in in throwing the clear into the open fire? Yes, it's right under the ventilation system. Yes, it works out great the way it sucks up the fire and the explosion travels through the ventilation system. But, like, was she prepared to kill herself and everybody in that room?
0: I don't know if she was prepared for it, but... She's looking for vengeance for her sister. And it turns out that the vengeance she gets in the end is better yes but absolutely I, I think if it had have resulted in everybody in that room getting wiped out because she knows that everybody in that room at this point had a hand in the yeah. murder of her beloved sister and even though they were estranged she clearly obviously cares about or cares oh, deeply about Andy. so yeah i think it might not have been her plan She might have been just going, you know, well, F you, I'm going to just make a big statement here. But I think if it had have come down to it that everybody in that room got wiped out, including herself, I think she would have taken that as a win. I, I think so, too.
1: And I think there are a lot of people who were sort of eager to criticize this movie who were like, well, wait a minute, why would she, you know, obviously she would, you know, would just kill her and everybody in the room, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, well okay so a couple of ways of looking at that i agree with you that she was she was in such a vengeful-minded place that she does not care about or for anybody in the room particularly uh and everybody in that room who with whom helen has had an interaction in the guise of andy when given the opportunity to do something decent they didn't um you know she 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 forms a little bit of a bond with whiskey But then next thing you know, Whiskey is trying to kill her with a harpoon gun. So it's like she there's no love lost between Helen and anybody in this room. And they've all just had the opportunity to show that they're decent people and support, you know, testify to the truth of Miles burning the napkin, Miles, you know, having killed Andy, all of this stuff. But they are they're too busy trying to stay in his favor to get something from him so she there's no love lost with her and i'm sure if she had collaterally flame broiled everyone in that room i don't i think you're right i don't think she would have cared i think the other thing to keep in mind that that gets easily forgotten she's drunk <laughs> that's true i mean she's not she she has that kind of drunkard's courage and coordination and luck where your feet can slip on the ice 15 times, but you still manage to land standing up. Uh, You know, it's, it, 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 long story short to people who would try and use that as, as a way of sort of taking a, you know, finding uh, the cracks, finding flaws, finding flaws with this movie or reason to dislike it or disengage from it or whatever. I'm just like, yeah, but why? And you're going to (laughs) disengage from this movie at, at minute, 126 like it's like i was with it so far but then you know her her destructive vengeful plan wasn't perfectly thought out uh so i'm out
0: yeah i it it, that feels like the kind of nitpicking that is specifically geared towards somebody who wants to have a reason to dislike something
1: yeah it's almost like if you were say looking to tally up the
0: uh the the
1: The sins of a piece of cinema, if you were. Yeah. And maybe ring a little (laughs) bell when you do. Um,
0: It would be like, uh, and just linking into Ryan Johnson here, it would be like the guys complaining that the Holdo maneuver uh, wouldn't work in The Last Jedi, uh, despite the fact that the show or the movie itself goes out of its way to tell you exactly how one in a billion chance it was that it was going to work for her. Right. And no, you can't always just do that in any given situation.
1: Yeah, because it only, I mean, okay, you know what? We're going to get into this a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know it's a six-year-old movie. I don't want to relitigate it because I love it. And I think people who still drop into every conversation about Carrie Fisher, the new trilogy, anything like to, to suddenly, you know, it, it, It's like the people who wait for John Lennon to come up in conversation so they can bring up, uh, you know, his history of spousal abuse. Like, you know, they have that one factoid. And it's like there are people who are waiting for Star Wars at large to come up so they can be like, so The Last Jedi sucks. And I'm still mad about it. It's like, (laughs) my guy, you have had six years to develop a second personality trait. Like, try again. So I don't want to have to relitigate this, but it's like... The holder maneuver worked because, first of all, since the very first Star Wars movie, we've been told you have to carefully plot a jump to light speed because you could, you could fly asteroids to a star, a sun. Yeah. into a supernova. Like, that was established very early on. Uh, she is piloting a freighter, like a gigantic ship. So it's not just the speed, it's the size of this ship. Mm-hmm. And... She is a leader who believes in, only believes in sacrifice if it is going to minimize casualties. And ordinarily, a ship of that size is going to be full of thousands of, of, of resistance fighters. So it would not only be an irresponsible uh, uh, forced martyrdom, but it would be... Counterproductive to the to the aims of the fight. So yeah, if you have yourself behind the wheel of an empty freighter and can and can jump to light speed and blah, blah blah all those millions of things, then yes, this will work for you. But then, like the number of people who saw something like that happen, saw that happen in the movies, and were like, "Well, if this had worked, someone would have done it before." And it's like, my guy, that is not how ideas work. That's not how movies work. That's not how strategy works. That's not how anything works.
0: There's always one that has to be the first,
1: yeah, absolutely, um which and also it made it that much more worrisome in the in the next star Wars movie when um talking about uh Marion Pippin, as we were um where um oh my god, I've forgotten his name uh, uh, uh um but where um uh oh my God, from Finn Lost.
0: and Poe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but but um, no, but uh, specifically the one from the one from Lost and Lord of the Rings, and who is uh, Dominic Monaghan? Dominic Monaghan. Jesus, yeah. that took forever. <laughs> you know where where he's been inserted into into Star Wars, and he's like, "We need to do some Holdo maneuvers," and Poe has to be like, "That was a one in a million shot; it would never work." It's like, hang on, can we back up a minute about how this guy who appears to be new senior leadership? His pitch is, "Hey, which one of you wants to sign up to?" To die horribly and maybe ineffectually. Let's go. Yeah, uh, you know. The, but yeah.
0: the the crazy thing about that is, I have legitimately come across guys who will try and defend Rise of Skywalker, and I genuinely think it's the worst movie that Star Wars have ever made. Um, I would watch Solo ahead of it uh, any day of the week, um, but they they're defending this this thing because oh it's got all of these little touches and all these little things and it's stuff like that that they think is like witty and right. interesting that's dialogue what... and, and look at how they fixed what ryan johnson had done like that's oh no that's not what that's not doing that's there. not how that that's not what movies are
1: um and but i think and it ties back to what i was saying yeah the surface touches are always going to be a nice thing, and the 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 Benoit Blanc movies are full of them. There are just little delightful bits of glitter sprinkled throughout the whole thing. Uh, but like I said, like you have a moment of Catherine uh, Hahn, you know, turning one word like Hindenburg into this this beautiful dramatic moment, and that's built on a basis of. Which characters it makes sense to behave in a certain way, which, you know, what, how do how do we get here? Like, that's, that's not just, hey, this will be a fun thing to have happen. I, especially because there are a few moments in it where Catherine Hahn gets a, has to make a single word mean so much and she nails it every time. She does it with the word Bacardi. She does it with the word Pancaked. She does it with the word Hindenburg. And, and she's
0: she's a fantastic actress.
1: I, she's she's just the greatest. I mean, she is... When, I do want to say that like, I love Knives Out so much and still do. I think it and, and Glass Onion are a perfect pair. Um, but also the kind of thing where I have no reason to believe a third one of these uh, would stray from that too badly. Like ryan johnson's in the zone with these right. but it's,
0: i'm gonna to have to stop you there we're not gonna talk about a possible third movie until wednesday
1: oh oh my bad well i'll have more to say about that at that point <laughs> but you can you can edit that out you have you have my permission no i'm gonna i'm it. gonna leave it in double oh, it fair enough. Double it. now that i've been summarily chastened, absolutely <laughs> um but my point is is like uh so so with knives on uh, with knives onion knives jesus onion. christ <laughs> Knives out sitting there, uh, and then as the cast started to be announced for Glass Onion, and we knew a bit more what to expect, and I was just like, Ryan Johnson has like Ryan Johnson and his team have the best eye for casting an ensemble because everybody in this is just in part because of what they're given to do, but in part because, but also a big part of just what they bring to it. And Catherine Hahn is not only Hardly an exception to that. She she exemplifies it. These are just exciting performers getting to do exciting things, and it's and and visibly having the time of their lives and making it fun for us. It's just you know, I, I'm I'm glad Helen didn't didn't uh, murder them all. I think it really would have thrown a sour note in at the end of the movie. Um, and instead you wind up with this very sort of cartoony aftermath with all of them sort of uh singed and smoking and uh and it's great it's just a great movie
0: no no yeah and do you think there's anything more to cover in this particular minute alex um
1: i i did want
0: to say that i like that in this movie
1: maybe somewhat more than he did in knives out where cuz in knives out he's got he's got law enforcement backup he's got you know detective elliot and trooper wagner so his conclusions uh, hold a lot of weight because if he's able to point it out to them, they can arrest somebody on the spot. But he's flying solo in this one. And there there is no law enforcement on site. And he's very clear from the start. He's not Batman. He is not, you know, there's nothing legally binding that he can do because he's subservient to the courts and so much of this movie is about what happens away from all of that and in a room full of people willing to be conspirators in exchange for personal gain. The question then becomes, well, if Blanc can't jacquise somebody and have it uh, have it be legally impactful, which is what every murder mystery builds up to, then what what can he do? Because I think he's a sort of I mean, lawful good and chaotic good on, in this sort of alignment because he's a believer in justice and following, you know, following following gravity's rainbow uh, to the end of a case. Uh, but by giving Helen the bit of clear to do something with, he's not telling her what to do, but he's sort of giving her permission to uh, to um, do whatever her heart tells her to do up to and including something very destructive. So I like that about him. That's sort of a different side for him, especially because in Knives Out, you know, at the end, Marta asks him what she should do about the Thrombey family. And he's sort of, he, he gives her a very balanced answer. Uh, I forget exactly what it is, but it's something along the lines of, uh, you know, she's asking whether or not she should help them. And he basically says, if it were me, I wouldn't, but I'm sure you'll do the right thing. (laughs) Uh, And he sort of gives Helen the same sort of setup here where he's able to provide even less help, but where he basically says, like, I'm sure you will do that. You're a good person and I'm sure you'll do the right thing. But in this case, the right thing that he guides her toward is something genuinely cathartic and disrupt and destructive
0: i mean, he lets her make her own choice which is mm-hmm. brilliant um so on mondays i have a very specific question to ask you alex and that yeah. is did you go to see this movie in the cinema during its one week release
1: i saw it believe it was either the first or second show of its first day in theaters uh Ooh, i would i would not have missed it for anything uh, please i had endured an entire pandemic to get to that point <laughs> uh and i was right now i don't like netflix's lim- uh, perfunctory theatrical run business model um at the time most of the movies that they are that they're showcasing that way is just so that it's eligible for awards consideration uh, for example, uh, I believe the killer, uh, went, the, the went David Fincher movie, week. is doing its is doing its um, limited theatrical run right now, uh, and um, and I think that's fine. But like, where it bummed me out when it came to Glass Onion was if they had let it have an. I mean, is that they had a massive hit, a massive in theater hit? They'll cut it off after a week, even though movie theaters were begging them to let it stay running. And they were like, no, that's not how we operate. And I'm like, I'm not just mad at that on principle that Netflix seems not to want to let movie theaters thrive uh, or get a good footing again, or doing their part to make sure theaters don't get a good footing uh, in the wake of the pandemic. And I think that sucks. But also it's like they just left money on the table. Like they, they could have kept making money from it. I would have gone back to see it a second, third, maybe fourth time. And God knows that I saw it the once when it was in theaters. And then the second it was on Netflix, I snapped it up again. Cause I, cause
0: good movie is good movie. Yeah. Um, um I have, I'm the exact same. As I said, I went to see the killer last week and as soon as it comes out on Netflix here, I will watch the killer again. I highly recommend it. And just speaking as somebody who's a Ryan Johnson fan, um, I'm assuming you really like the movie Brick. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the character, the main character in the killer, legitimately could be a grown-up version of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Brick. I hadn't made that. Um, I hadn't made that connection because I don't tend to think of. Um, I don't tend to think of the character from Brick, uh, Brennan. I think his name is Brennan. Yeah. Yeah, I don't tend to think of him as homicidal no. necessarily
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know you give him another 15-20 years who the hell knows
0: I, I've always seen him as being very gross point blanky where mm. he's got a certain a moral point. flexibility mm. and then a person with a moral flexibility can end up getting pushed into something where his skills and uh, calmness, coldness might help and that's what Michael Fassbender's character is in that movie he's that's very a very good cold. point He's very calculated, and it's all about procedure. It's all about doing things the correct way. Um, I genuinely think it's a tour of the forces a movie. I think it's a fabulous performance by Fassbender. Uh, it, I can totally see why some people watched it and went, mm, this is a little bit too cold. But I think that happens with a lot of Fincher's movies. Yeah. Uh, whereas Ryan Johnson is all about the heart, he's all about the procedure basically and this movie is a distillation of of his but look we're not talking about the movie so thank you alex for coming on this is the end of the first episode do you have anything to plug for us uh yeah a couple of things i would be happy to plug i have
1: a t-shirt shop on t public you can find me under giant giant apparel um uh that is two giants giant giant apparel all one name (laughs) um uh where i don't If I have any Glass Onion teas in the collection, I do have a couple of Knives Out ones. You can get one in the Knives Out font that says Emergency Naxa Stuff. Uh, Another that says Be After for the Carved Elephant. Um, And I do have, actually related to Glass Onion, I have a number of designs based, uh, derived from The Last of Sheila, the 1973 Murder... This movie. Uh, yeah, just tremendous movie that I was a huge fan of, uh, even long before I heard that Ryan Johnson was going to tap into it for Glass Onion, which is why I was there opening day. Cause I was like, hell yeah, I got to see this. Um, I got to see his take on it. I have a number of, uh, Last of Sheila designs. If you're a fan of Last of Sheila, again, that username is giant, giant apparel. Uh, and, oh, uh, I make no money off my t-shirts. Every penny I, uh, that I make, uh, is, uh, goes right to charity. Uh, nine times out of, or not-for-profits, I should say. Nine times out of ten, I'm donating to Free Fight, uh, Fair Fight, excuse me, which is an organization, uh, working to preserve free and fair elections for all. Uh, designs go to different charities. There are a number that, uh, are dedicated to, Uh, I did a collaboration with Julie Klausner for her song Silence, uh, and those, the proceeds go to the Trevor Project, Uh, and no, I'm sorry, that's to the trans hotline. Trevor Project is the Sega t-shirts. God, anyway, point is... I don't, I'll know where the money goes when if you send it to me. The point is it's not coming to me.
0: Perfect. Um, do you have any social media that people could look for you
1: on? Uh, yes. You can actually follow Giant Giant Apparel on Instagram where I highlight designs. Uh, you can also find uh, my mixtapes at thesteelapesessions.com. Steelapesessions.com.
0: No, the. God damn it. I am the worst self-promoter today. <laughs> um and you can find the show on twitter um i know it's referred to as x now but darren has said specifically we're not calling it x so at glass onion min all one word uh you can find us on instagram at benoit blanc minute at uh sorry or at benoit blanc minute it's also all one word and if you have treads you can go to treads.net slash at benoit blanc minute Um, and if you can we would like you to rate us review us and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and we look forward to seeing you guys uh, for the rest of the week Um, I will give my personal plugs at the end of the week, I'll give them on Friday I try not to talk too often about the podcast that I do these days because I don't want people to be able to find me, I'm trying to hide so um, thanks everybody for listening thanks a million Alex for coming on and we'll see you guys tomorrow